Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here, but much more importantly, John Levine is the senior editor for Mediaite, a great site. And uh, he's uh, he does such uh, wonderful work over there. Hey, John, welcome. Hi, happy to be here. Yeah, no, great, uh, great to be with you. And I, I contacted you. One of the things that caught my eye is that you you recently interviewed Oliver Stone, which is an experience all all its own. But I guess right uh, off of him being fresh out of a Putin interview is even more interesting. What what was uh, what was your take on Stone? First of all. Well, you know, he's, he's such a he's such a fascinating figure because he's been this sort of giant of cinema for decades, and he's produced some of the most important important films. And and I feel like lately, with he's gotten very very into um, a certain kind of political genre with movies like Snowden, and now with the Putin interviews, and is it's I think reflective of sort of the politics he's taken on in recent years. And um, you know, he his his son. Uh, works for for rt which is russia today which is you know russian propaganda network yeah and um you know it's it's so i I knew that he sympathized with putin and then i watched the putin interviews and they are very sympathetic they're they're i mean it's at best it's sympathetic having having said that not to cut you off but what what's his thoughts on trump Stone. Oh, well, you know, it's funny. He's one of the few people who's actually met both Trump and Putin. He's, he's spent about 20 hours with each. He spent 20 hours with Putin, and he spent 20 hours, in, you know, I think directing Trump. I forget what film it was for, but the point is, you know, I asked him, I pressed him a lot on if there were similarities between Putin and Trump or his thoughts. He doesn't like Trump as president. Right. You know, and he, he, he really, he, you know, he didn't want to get into it. He, I, I tried, I tried to, but he said he didn't know Trump that well, and he sort of played down his his past exposure to Trump. He said it was a long time ago. But I tried. <laughs> yeah. Well, did he? Was he under the impression that Putin uh, was actively involved, or he wouldn't say uh, in in hacking the elections? Was uh, was that his take? Well, Putin obviously told him what he's told everybody, which is that he's, you know, we never interfere with the domestic affairs of other countries. We had nothing to do that. And, you know, when Putin says that in, in, you know, it's a four hour series, the moment when Putin says that you can see a smile kind of come over his lips. It's incredible. (laughs) You can sort of freeze the frame and look at it. But I think Stone believes it. And Stone told me himself that he was, I paraphrase a bit, but he was inclined to believe it. And he said something about, he didn't think Putin even had the money to logistically pull off you know a lot of the things he'd been accused of but i think he clearly believes it he thinks putin is mostly innocent of the charges that have been levied against him you know i mean i mean i'm like many people all kind of sick of the whole subject of putin and russia and and whatever obviously the the media in general uh, isn't all that sick of it and and they're going to push and they're going to push and push uh, where are you uh, at mediaite on uh on that issue is it is it a main focus of yours is it something that you're dabbling in uh where where's yeah. mediaite on on the russian situation well so what we do here is cover sort of what other journalists are doing and saying it's one of the big a big part of our coverage so we sort of we took kind of take the temperature of what cnn and fox 
and MSNBC and Breitbart, all those guys are saying. Um, and so, you know, it is a focus to us insofar as it's a focus to the mainstream media. You know, I, you know, but it's a combination of both. I think that there are times when journalists really go at it, you know, maybe a little excessively, and there's, there's too much resources devoted to it. But then you get stuff like this recent Don Jr. meeting where it's like a clown car of who was in this meeting. And every single day the story is changing over who was here and who's not here. And if they didn't want the media to obsess about that meeting, they should just put all the cards on the table and say, here's who was in the meeting. This is what we discussed. Be done with it. Rather than because they they're responsible for a lot of the leaking and the dripping that comes out because they're just not transparent. If they could just put everything out there, even Trey Gowdy. The yeah. thing, if you've ever had you know, vodka with someone, put it out there. And the fact that they don't do this means it's going to just be in the news. Yeah, forever. Well, no, well, no <laughs> question. I mean, I think we're uh, you know we're at a point of no return between an American president declaring war on the media and the mainstream media um, uh, taking up that challenge and and loving the idea of of destroying. Uh, the the presidency of of this guy before it starts, and I, you know you really I mean if you're if you're Trump you've got to look in the mirror and and say yeah well I mean I I did this but at the same time and again before I even go any further let me remind folks of who we're speaking to if you're just tuning in or just turning on your radio Frank McKay here with John Levine he's the senior editor of Mediaite and uh, you know back to you know what what I'm saying here is it, and so many ways the media built up trump and i'm talking about candidate trump running against 16 other republicans and it was fun it was enjoyable it was hey wouldn't this be funny if this happened almost you know with certain people and they built up and built up and he took advantage of uh, of their opportunities to speak and others didn't and marco rubio wouldn't come on this show or come on that show trump jumped on all the shows and he went on and he he stole the show and the media built him up built him up and then all of a sudden when he got through they were like oh what happens if this guy really wins and it's almost like a i, I don't even know what to uh, compare it to in history i don't think there's a historic equivalent to what's going yeah. on here i mean your your take the we were always told that Trump, it was so remarkable because he had no political experience and he still, he took out these 16 Republican candidates and he won the presidency. But, you know, I would argue to you that we were looking at it the wrong way. And this is a thesis by Matt Taibbi, which I like a lot, which is that basically um, the presidency running for president is basically a reality show. And Trump sort of recognized that being on stage with those 16 people was less about policy and who had the better you know, ideas for tax reform and more about, you know, it's a reality show. And every, instead of calling in to vote, you basically have your primary. <laughs> that's the, that's kind of like calling in. And just like a reality show, you whittle down the contestants and eventually you have a winner. And if you, if you, if you look at how he ran, he treated it almost like a reality show. It was, it, and the media was complicit in this because a lot of TV media is more, far more focused toward entertainment. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a perfect storm of conditions. Yeah. And, and then he's been a reality show star for a decade. So, you know, in that sense, he, he really was uniquely suited to run for president in our time. And, and in 2020, is going to be great. Because yeah. now that Trump has sort of opened the seal that a celebrity could be president and that it's just a game show, basically. I mean, you're already seeing Oprah, <laughs> Mark Cuban, Kid Rock, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. 
all of these, there's, there's really going to be a clown car yeah. of, of like <laughs> has been celebrities who are going to throw their hat in. Cause now you can say, well, anyone can do it really. Well, yeah. Enough money. Yeah. Well, no, no doubt about it. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's interesting and it's going to be interesting to, uh, to cover from my end and certainly from your end when you, when you go there, just so you know, I mean, for reasons of full disclosure, I spent a lot of time with Trump in 2006, trying to convince him to run as an independent. And again, I had, you know, I mean, he was a, he was a Democrat. He was a, 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 a moderate Democrat basically. And what I said to him on February 1st, 2006 with Joe Bruno as my witness, the Senate majority leader of New York at the time. And by the way, Trump asked to see me, uh, from my uh, independence hat, you know, my independence party hat. And, you know, I spent time with him and the first words out of my mouth basically were, if you decide to run, and this is well documented, I said it in front of many of his people, Rona Graff and um, uh, uh, Zanker, Bill Zanker from uh, Learning Annex and all the people he was around at that particular time. I said, look, if you decide to run, you will make an unwatchable process for millions of people can't miss TV. And it'll be a circus, but you'll be the ringleader. And it will be all Trump from media standpoint from from day one, and it will go on all the way. So to his credit, he turned to Bruno and said, uh, and like almost like I wasn't there, and said, well, do you think in the beginning when I make the announcement it'll, uh, it, and it'll wear off kind of? And I said, no, I believe from the day you announce to the day you're elected president in the United States, it'll be all you constantly and keep in mind we were coming off of we were coming off of uh, w bush versus Kerry, and i said I, right. I said that's like watching grass grow versus watching paint dry it's the the driest election that you could possibly imagine if you jump in this thing as a third major party candidate uh, you, you can uh, you, you can do it with 38 percent of the vote so now you know, I mean, I, I don't want to get uh, too heavily into what he said, but I mean, I've had about 50 meetings with him about this. And, and he had set, suggested, why don't I run as a Republican? And, and I gave him, we'll talk, you and I'll talk off mic, uh, you know, the different issues that I gave him, why he couldn't run as a Republican, you know, where his stance. I said, you'd have to change and so forth. But, uh, and I said, that's why you should run as an independent. Having said that, I'll remind people once again, uh, John Levine is our very special guest and he is the senior editor for Mediaite, which is a wonderful site. Uh, he recently interviewed Oliver Stone, and I, I kind of caught my attention. And Oliver Stone, of course, just recently interviewed Putin. Uh, and, and I asked you before, and, and you you, you kind of gave me a, you know, you went into the Putin situation. But in general, what was your take on on Stone as a guy? Was this the first time you met him? Was it the... Um, uh, it was... Did you have any different impression than what your anticipations were? You know, I, I've i seen him interviewed, you know, over the years, and I, but I didn't really go in with expectations. I, I met him at a book launch party. He he had a, he, he released a companion book with 30%, you know, additional material, and uh, the publicist invited me to the book launch party, and we had a discussion about it, and it, you know, we didn't really get into it at this function. It was at the publisher's apartment, and we mostly just talked. I actually had talked about his movies, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, he, he said, let's stay in touch. And then we, I reached out to his people and, and we, we spoke on the phone. Um, he was, he, you know, Oliver Stone is a this very peripatetic guy. He's always traveling. Every time I talk to him or email him, he's, he's in a new city. 
usually sometimes usually a new country. (laughs) And so the guy's always moving. Um, He canceled one of our interviews at the last minute because he had to go to an emergency rally for Jeremy Corbyn over in London the week earlier. He'd been in Paris. So um, he's 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 um, he's he's he's, you know, he's 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 very personable. He's very passionate. He cares very deeply about the subject matter. Oh, you know, he very much he just basically rejects a lot of the premises. So in that sense, it's kind of difficult to even interview him because he'll ask a question and he'll say, well, why are you asking that question? And, and it, it's just, you end up arguing about whether the question is fair. Yeah. <laughs> rather uh, than oh, that's very annoying. An very annoying. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's hard. Um, and, you know, he tends, he tends to speak in these monologues where, you know, I, I, when I interview people, I try not to ask them questions I've heard a million times, you know, because yeah. it's just, it's not interesting content for anybody. Um, and yet, I, I struggle to get past sort of the monologue. And, you know, he, I made a comparison to him that he was, you know, there was a, there was a guy in my piece that I wrote about him. There was, a, there was a guy I brought up named Edgar Snow who lived with Chairman Mao in the caves in the 1930s and then wrote a book about him and really served to kind of normalize Mao Zedong in the minds of a lot of Americans, you know, when people didn't really know who he was. And then, you know, Mao went on to be dictator and his policies like right to being killed and Edgar Snow really stood by, stood by Mao. And I, and, and Stone hated this comparison. But I said, you know, you're kind of like this Edgar Snow guy. You know, you've basically <laughs> taken this, this horrific figure, this, this despot who kills journalists and an autocrat and has brutalized his own population. And you're basically trying to make him palatable for American audiences. And even if that's not your intention, that is what you're doing. He, he, he did not appreciate that comparison. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, 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 I get that, and it sounds like he's a, a defensive, uh, you know, defensive type. I mean, that's what you're describing, right? When you asked him a question, he got defensive, and then he asked you, like, why would you ask? Why why wouldn't you just answer a question without uh, w- without wondering why the uh, the journalist or the interviewer is asking you? Trump's like that in the same, you know, in the same vein. I mean, he's he's combative with the press. Now, is that because? I mean, do you see any comparisons? in style between Trump and, and, and Stone? Um, you know, they're, they're very different. I mean, you know, you know, uh, he, uh, Stone considers himself a figure of the left. He's, well, you know, no he's doubt a on that Jeremy end. Corbyn. Yep. And, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that Stone has the same hostility toward the press. I do believe that Trump has a certain amount of hostility that, that Stone doesn't have. Um, but I, I think that, Sort of Russia is Stone's blind spot, and with Russia's stuff, he just is like he thinks Russia's gotten an unfair shake, and you know he feels personal that he has personal rapport with Putin. And from all accounts, Putin's a very charming guy. He's a very slick operator. You know, in in the series, they watched Doctor Strangelove together, and then <laughs> they were laughing about that. And you know, it's you know he's he seems very personal, but that's the story with all these dictators is you know they meet foreign media and they're very nice. You know, you get, and then you get stories like I think you know Vanity Fair published this very glowing feature about Bashar Assad's wife, you know, ten years ago, and they're very, you know, Western media is very easily taken in by dictators, and you can go back to like Uncle Joe during the Soviet Union, <laughs> when yeah. people were fawning over him, um, and it's it's a it's an old problem. Yeah, it's very yeah very interesting, and it's a it's very interesting uh, take on a on a news story itself. The 
idea that, and again, I you know I, I I know you cover the media. I don't know how much you cover the print media, but oh, plenty. Yeah. Now l- let me ask you this: If you had to take, and this is a departure from everywhere we were going, but if you had to take a guess of when the moment or or roughly the time period that we're going to see a major New York newspaper turn to completely uh, to be a digital format only. When do you think that time period would be? Imminently. Um, And I'll tell you something that I have not bought a newspaper. I possibly in my life. Wow. I don't think I've ever physically, except maybe as like a novelty, you know, (laughs) like an old gumball machine. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't even know how to read a newspaper in, in, you know, as like a physical document. I would see my father and his friends on the train and they would open it. And then it's like, you're on a one and then they turn to a 23 and it's a big mess of papers. I don't No one I know reads newspapers. So I, I think that you've already seen the observer, Jared Kushner's old outfit go all digital. Yeah. That's already happened. They no longer have a print paper. And I mean, if you're talking about the really heavy hitters, like the Times, I mean, I don't know if like the New York Times will ever totally get rid of print because, you know, you'll still, they're useful. Like, you know, the hotels will put an, you know, a paper by your door or the airports have to have newspapers on the flight. But like, I think you're going to see most newspapers go to digital. Most, not, not just a few, most of them over the next 15 years. And what's going to remain in print will be, in physical print, will be vestigial. Yeah, I mean, the 15-year um, question is, is is not even a question for me. I mean, there's, there's no doubt in 15 years you're going to yeah. see the majority of it. And and the millennials, which I assume you are, I, I, we haven't met. I am. Yeah, you're a millennial. I, I regret to inform you. Uh, you're yeah. a proud millennial, and, and hey, listen. You I got, wouldn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> You guys are getting your your info from different places that people uh, who are 50, like myself, are getting. Frank McKay here, more importantly, John Levine, wonderful senior editor from Mediaite, is our very special guest. And the first time we're speaking to to John, and and he does just a, a wonderful job. He recently interviewed Oliver Stone, which is fascinating because Oliver Stone interviewed... Putin, uh, Vladimir Putin, recently, and uh, and uh, it's uh, it's just interesting to uh, to get John's take on what Stone's take was, and obviously there's that bias there, the uh, the bias because his um, his son works for you know whatever the equivalent of TASS or Pravda is uh, is nowadays, and and that's uh, really kind of funny. Anyway, John, getting back to that, the the media coverage of Trump. Obviously, he he, you know, he brings this on himself. But he he's at all-out war with the media. Should the media be at war with a president, or should they just be basically reporting back? I mean, have you guys taken a stance, or have you taken a stance on that at all? I mean, should first of all, should a president of the United States, with with all of these things going on, uh, bother himself being at war with uh, with with journalists? And, and secondly, should the journalist uh, be kind of just reporting the news or should they be trying to take down the president? I think that the war between Trump and the media serves both of their ends in a very short-term sense. But over the long term, it's bad. 
I mean, in the long term, you know, fighting with CNN and, and, and Mika Brzezinski is not going to get tax reform passed or anything else. Right. And, you know, honestly, Trump tweets, Trump tweeted more about Mika Brzezinski than, you know, healthcare. <laughs> I mean, even if, if he has, if you actually look at the tweets, he is tweeting far more about Mika Brzezinski and fake news and CNN than about his own agenda. So, I, I mean, it's what that, that doesn't serve him. And as for the media, like, it's great for rating. Trust me, everyone's getting a lot of clicks and a lot of eyeballs. But at the end of the day, you know, the media as an institution is going to be less hollowed out and at a loss. And, 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 you know, if people don't trust the media, then what are we doing? Yeah, well, we might be and, looking at, at the end of Reservoir Dogs, you know, where everybody dies. You know, everybody gets uh, fatally yeah. wounded at the end. Frank McKay here with John Levine, the senior editor of Mediaite. And uh, we'll be with him right after this break for another quick segment. <laughs> 